You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. That's right, and it is time for the Sunday Sermon. Welcome to another episode. We are continuing in the book of Ephesians, the last um, half of chapter 3, and shared this this morning at the local church that I'm over, and um, it's Paul's prayer, and it's a deep prayer. It's... (laughs) (laughs) it's a deep prayer it is very um it's packed full of a lot of things i cut about 10 pages of notes and i still felt that i should have made this uh two weeks um in 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 um preaching it or teaching it or whatever it is that you call (laughs) that i do so you'll yeah um uh, sort of got rushed at the end. I uh, should have took more time, really, but that's okay. the The whole message is there. There's still a lot of more, a lot more stuff that you could actually break down and go through and see that is in this prayer, and um, and make it applicable and apply it to you and apply it in your prayer life. So I hope it helps. Um, it's a little different than than the other sermons before this one, but um, you'll. You'll hear me say that and explain it and all that stuff in there. So without further ado, here is Ephesians 3, uh, 14 through 21. So we've been going through Ephesians, great book. And I decided to go on with the rest of chapter 3. All right, so we're not going to, I could expound and keep expounding on what we talked about Last week, this mystery, the gospel revealed, all of these things. But we're going to go in to 14 uh, through 21. Last little part here. So it's going to be a little different this week than the previous weeks because this is a prayer. And so I'm going to be dissecting this prayer and uh, giving, uh, I guess, application for us in our prayer life for this. This is a great example of prayer. I don't I was sitting here going, I don't know if I'd do all this stuff, all right? So I tried to get through this. I had to cut about 10 pages of notes um, out of this. So (laughs) when I get going, I get going. Um, And then I'm like, this is so much information. Um, So I'm trying to find what I think you're going to glean from the best of what I can give you. Um, And not every single little detail. Um, Mike and I were talking beforehand were um, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but uh, man, he wrote like a whole book, right? Just on like one verse, is that what you said? Or one chapter? It's like one chapter. He he spent, I believe, I may not get this right, 
But I know last week I said there was a guy that had 63 weeks of sermons. Martin Lloyd-Jones, though, I came across this week, and he had like 200 and some odd weeks of sermons that he did on <laughs> the book of Ephesians. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. So here's, here's the context, all right? Let's get started, all right? Paul considers God's wisdom in grace and love, and he breaks it out, breaks out in prayer and in praise, okay? So um, I'm going to read it. Starting at 14, all right? And it's about strength. It's power and strength, spiritual strength. So he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so the starting section here, um, this resumes Paul's thoughts. All right, if you remember... Uh, last week, if you look up at verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, dash, he interrupts himself, and he goes into this big, long thing. Now he's resu- res- resuming his original thought here. Um, uh, Paul, This is Paul's second prayer for the Ephesians. The first was in chapter 2. Um, this prayer, though, runs through... Verse 19, and then those last, 20 and 21, is a benediction to God, all right? So it seems he is offering two main requests here, and they're both for power and strengthening. So the first in, in, is that the Ephesians would be strengthened. Uh, let me see this. According to, sorry, yeah, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. It's in 16, in this inner being, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But this inner being, which is renewed, is the renewed nature of believers, all right? And it's what battles the flesh, all right? Uh, the flesh is opposed to the, the spirit. The spirit's opposed to the flesh. We have this inner being, and this is what's renewed. This is what's been brought to life from being spiritually dead. So Paul is praying that Christ may grant the strengthening with power through his spirit in this renewed nature of their hearts and our hearts too, okay? Where he dwells, where he fills through faith. Uh, because it's faith, faith alone, right? The second request is in verse 18, and is that they may be filled up to all fullness of God. That's, 
<laughs> we like what? Like we may be filled up to all fullness of God. It's the comprehension of the immeasurability of God's wisdom and Christ's love. How can that happen? How can that be done? That's a, such a big statement to me. Just, all right, so here's what, here's what this is, though. This is a prayer for spiritual maturity, all right, that they may be fully conformed to Jesus, all right? Knowledge of Christ is, is praised throughout this letter. But we as humans cannot fully comprehend him. All right, so Paul's request may seem odd, like I just said. It may seem like a lot. It may seem like, how's that going to happen? But in his benediction in 20 and 21, he reminds us that God is able to do far more than what we can ask or what we can think. And it's according to his power that works within us. And then he reminds us that these things aren't just, they're not for our happiness. They're not just to make our life better. It's not for our destiny and our dream thing, doctrine thingy that's in evangelicalism today. That these are for God's eternal glory. And we should point out that this prayer is Trinitarian, which some people will debate that it's hard to find the doctrine of the Trinity in the Bible. I don't know why they think that, but it's all over the place. But Paul prays to the Father that Christ may dwell in their hearts through the power of the Spirit. All right? One example of the Trinity right there. Uh, we see it in Matthew when, when Jesus is uh, baptized and John's baptism. God speaks, the Holy Spirit descends and comes upon him. Uh, there's the three right there. All right? So, so Paul starts... Again, with that, that same, those three words, for this reason, all right, going back to what he originally intended, and he mentions father, he mentions every family, um, the riches of God's glory, this is so much stuff right there, <laughs> and, and he says, I bow my knees before the father, all right, so it's, Essentially, he's saying this, because God saved you by his grace and brought all people, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man. Remember the one new man that we've already talked about, Jesus. As the church, you are being built together as a living, holy, holy dwelling place of God in the spirit. Therefore, I bow my knees before the father. He's praying that God makes real in their lives what is true of them positionally in Jesus. Right? This is you hear hear me talk about it all the time in Christ, in Christ. Paul talks. Paul is the coin in Christ. You know. All right. So so prayer should aim to bring God's purpose and promises into our understanding into our lives, into reality, okay? God has ordained prayer as part of the process by which he works. And we've seen in Ephesians 1 that he works all things after the counsel of his will. And there's plenty more examples of this in Scripture. 
God promised to restore the Jews to the promised land after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Uh, And both Daniel and Nehemiah, they turned that promise into prayers. If you were to read Daniel 9 and Nehemiah 1. And so the question or the statement then I come up with is, then we should take these revealed purposes and promises of God and turn them into prayers. And one of the prayers that we know of is the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, I say it every day. That's how I start every morning. Our Father who art in heaven. You know, and I go, go through it. Uh, Jesus taught us, said, pray like this. Uh, <laughs> and it's about daily provision. It's about forgiveness and forgiving others. And the very last thing to be concerned about is to deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because we're in Christ. Okay? So, so for this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees to the Father. All right? That suggests a submission and worship and the, the normal Jewish and Christian uh, posture for prayer was standing. It still is most of the time. But Paul isn't mandating anything here. We see all sorts of different postures of prayer throughout Scripture. People laying on, 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 their, on their face, um, on their knees. Um, there's several, all right? But what he's doing is he's revealing an attitude for prayer. Uh, the Greek word b- before means toward. So um, toward the Father. It also could mean face to face with. So he kneels before the Father. He kneels toward or face to face with the Father. And he's showing this intimacy of a child coming before his Father who will be received and welcomed uh, in love. All right, so, and then we have the use of the word Father. So in that culture, It was a term of authority because fathers sought the good of their families and they they ruled the family as he saw best. But it was this miniature version of of fatherhood. It's really a a borrowed term. There's a lot of fathers in here today. I'm a father too, right? But we're just borrowing this name. God is ultimately the father. And he says that um, uh, to from, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. All right? We'll get to that here. So, but this whole bowing on the knees thing, it just shows that, that prayer should be offered with reverence and submission um, or a submissive intimacy before our Father God. All right? So, when Paul says the, the every family, okay? <laughs> on heaven and on earth. Calm down, son. This translation, every family, it could be whole family because he's referring to all the saints because he says in heaven and on earth. So he's referring to believers. He used this expression to emphasize to the Ephesians that they were no longer Jew or Gentile. That's the big thing going on here, right? We keep talking about that. That wall, that division of hostility has been broken down. We're all one. It's one new man who is Jesus. We're placed in him. So you're no longer those things. And 
He's saying they all belong to God's new family or household, and it's the church. And God's giving each family its name signifies his authority in bringing them into existence and exercising dominion over them. It's God's rule and reign. You know, that's what I said. The kingdom of God, the simplest definition is God's rule and reign in your life. All right? And there's a picture of that here. Prayer, then, should be made in light of our new standing as children in God's family for, for eternity. When we pray, we should recognize that we belong to this family, the saints that are in heaven and on earth, because you are saints. And as God's children... Uh, we come before him with the same confidence as the Apostle Paul did. He's, he's showing this. He's exemplifying this for us. And then, then he says, would grant. He's, he says this, or he, he may grant you, all right, these blessings. This phrase that comes from a Greek word that means to give freely. All right, so it's, it's recognizing the fact that we should, we should never have to ask God for anything that's based on our, our own merits, right? We only receive from him according to his grace. So prayer, prayer brings us before the Father on the basis of his grace and his grace alone. And when he says this, um, he he mentions that, that phrase, according to the riches of his glory. And God's glory is the sum of all of his attributes. It's everything that makes him glorious. He is the father of glory. That said that in chapter 1. And Paul, Paul does not ask God to give out of the richer, riches of his glory. He says, according to those riches. It's this infinite richness that he would freely give to us, all right, is what he's saying. The point here is that God's not lacking, and we should know that. He's not lacking in resources to meet our needs. And as Paul prays in in Philippians 4, uh, 19, it says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. So here, in this prayer, Paul wants God to grant the Ephesians and us according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So, do we find ourselves praying this for ourselves? (laughs) Do we do that? Do we pray this? Do we pray this for other people? I'm not trying to be burdensome. This is a question I ask myself. It's like, man, I don't really, you know, I don't know if I do this that much. It was sort of, sort of beating me up a little bit because I was like, this is a good way to pray here. Um, just ask yourself that. I'm not saying you're bad if you don't. <laughs> I'm really anti, like, burden. Like, I don't want to... You should pray like this. Like, don't want to burden you. 
just saying is the model of prayer, however you pray, does it take these things into consideration? It's already been prayed, yeah, by Paul, but we can continue to pray it. <laughs> All right, so Paul goes on and he prays for the power of the Spirit. All right, um, let's find it. Yeah. So last part of 16, with the power through his spirit in your inner being. Then in 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I already thought Christ dwelled in my heart, right? I thought I've been given a new heart, right? So here, here's the thing. He's not talking about something else that has to take place so God can dwell in your heart that he made. He, he's there. You've been given a new heart. He dwells within you. The Spirit does. Um, he's not talking about this one-time experience. Um, he's talking about this ongoing experience of God's power that changes and transforms us and renews us as we walk every day being led by the Spirit. This results in Christ taking up residence in us deeper. All right? It's not... He will come into us then. He's there. It's just deeper now. He's going to go deeper to make us more conscience, uh, conscious of, of, of the ways that we're doing life and, and our everyday task and everything that's going on, the full counsel of the word of God. And this is a, m- a more conscious way than we experienced at conversion because this, again, is spiritual maturity. Is what this is all about. All right, so we need the power of the Spirit because we all face problems, right? That we're all that are beyond our power to resolve them. All right, but Jesus stated um, in John fifteen five, where he says, "I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him. He it is that bears much fruit." For apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, so he's this vine. We're uh, in there. We're the branches. He's, we're totally dependent on him. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the point. We're totally dependent on him. And sometimes we forget this. I mean, with every, just everyday life type of things, we think we can handle this on our own. We think we're good, but we're totally dependent on him. He has the resources. It's according to his riches, right? And so we often forget it. And that can also show up by our prayerlessness. And that's why I'm like, why or do we pray like this? All right, because we need that power of the Spirit. He's grumpy again. Grumpy kids. (laughs) And we need the power of the Spirit because we'll never outgrow our need for His strength either. No one's born into God's family as a mature adult, right? We know the scripture on this too. We're babes and every baby's completely dependent on their parents for everything. And spiritually, even when we grow into maturity, we never outgrow this need. We won't. We can't. The need of the power of the spirit in the inner man. All right, so let's talk about that inner man for a moment. When Paul uses that phrase, it can sometimes it's synonymous with the heart. He uses it in 2 Corinthians. Um, 
So, but this battle against temptation and sin, right, um, is, it's a battle that is won or lost within us, right? We either are led by the Spirit and we overcome the temptation, or we choose the flesh and we, we sin, all right? So G- Jesus pointed out the outward sins, right? All come from the heart. It's all the posture of the heart. It's what. It's not what goes in that defiles. It's what comes out. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying even if you're angry with somebody, you've committed murder because there's murder in your heart. Like Jesus is after the murderer in your heart. He's after the adulterer in your heart. Uh, if there's anger and there's lust, lust. He's after the thief. That could potentially have been that's there in this flesh because you're not to steal either. It's all pointing to this. So this ongoing thing that's so weird sometimes to try to dissect it. It's hard. Um, But the Pharisees look good on the outside and that's what they were all about. Self-righteousness. All right. Jesus said that on the inside, though, they were full of un. Uh, uncleanness and they were um, well they were whitewashed tombs right that's what he said Uh, so God wants to change our hearts he wants to change our minds our motives our attitudes our desires all right from that kind of interchange we need the Holy Spirit so we need the power of the Holy Spirit because God changes our outward behavior by dealing with the inner person It all takes place in here. It all takes place through prayer. It all takes place through reading the word, having it illuminated to us. The aim of the Spirit strengthening you with power in this inner man is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith deeper and stronger and where you're more aware of it and more conscious of it. I'm not going to get through this. (laughs) All right, so it's clear that Christ indwells us, right, through the Holy Spirit. We know that. So why, again, he's writing to Christian believers. Paul's talking about something more than Christ indwelling us at the point of salvation. He's talking about Jesus being at the center of our lives. He's talking about having this close fellowship and this relationship with the Lord. All right, so because Biblical faith is not passive, where, what's that phrase, uh, let go and let God, all right? I'm not, I'm not making fun, I'm just saying, it's just not this passive thing. It's an active reliance on God and his promises, all right? Um, and it's not just the impossible circumstances and situations, it's everyday normal life. Christ dwells in us by faith because it's faith that we perceive his presence and his glory. And because it it is by faith that we um, appropriate and reciprocate the manifestations of his love. So faith is always linked with obedience. So if you trust God, you obey God. To obey God, you must trust that his word is true. Jesus spoke of that link between our, our obedience and his being at home in our hearts. Um, let me see this real fast. John 
I'll look this one up. John 14. Mm-hmm. 23. When Jesus, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He says, our home. You see that? Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he's making this link here, that being at home in our hearts is faith in our obedience. He prays that God, uh, Paul goes and prays that God would grant according to these riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in this inner man, and that, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. And we, we should keep the connection with the earlier part of the prayer in mind, because the result of being strengthened with power through God's spirit in the inner man is that Christ will come to be at home in our hearts through that faith. And it it results in this being rooted and grounded in love that he goes into, um, which is, again, another interesting point. (laughs) There's too many in this prayer. It's so short. In 17, being rooted and grounded in love. Man. He doesn't specify whether this is God's love or our love for him, or the love for one another. Um, so, but he's talking about love as the main principle of the Christian life. This is, is the law of love here. The law of love, the grace and mercy of the new covenant, where Jesus said, love one another. Uh, God's, God's love for us demonstrated in sending his son, we know that, that sacrifice um, for our sins undergirds everything. So stemming from that, um, of, of his commandments are all summed up by saying that we are to love God and to love one another. And that's what this is getting at here. So the Christian life is rooted and grounded in love. Love is the first listed fruit of the Spirit, right? If you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, then love will be manifest, manifesting itself Obviously, in your life, it will be obvious. Like God's the soil, we're in there, you know, here, and we're growing, and this is spiritual maturity, and it's all being rooted and grounded in love, God's love, and this law of love. So, this, this is a picture, right? To be rooted in love pictures a growing, like a growing tree, all right, whose roots that enabled it to withstand drought, storms, wind, rot, all that stuff, right? I'm not good with analogies, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a solid building. It's a foundation, and it goes down to the bedrock. God's love is in the soil in which it's rooted, and it results in our growth in love for him, love for others, love in the church. The, this is a picture of a love for God that's not, and for others, it's not based on fluctuation, fluctuating feelings and emotions, all right, or, or the circumstances in which we're in. It's a solid, steady love that sustains 
everything in life, good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's there. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's just like peace when I said that in that one time. It's peace that's there. You can't, it cannot be shaken. All right. So I'm not going to be able to finish. <laughs> that's okay. Well, actually, I probably can if you only stay five more minutes. Ten, five minutes over. It's up to you guys. Take a vote. <laughs> All right. So, this focus shifts in 18 from love in general uh, to Christ's love for us. That may, may be able to, let's see, or may have strength, right? Man, there's so much in there. Like I said, I cut like 10 pages. But this Greek verb translated um, means to have the strength. All right, comprehend means to lay hold of or to seize. Paul is praying that, that we may have the power to lay hold, to seize, and comprehend the immensity of Christ's love for us, which paradoxically is in, uh, beyond our comprehension, right? But it gets to a point to where we're just there. We know, right? And we continue to grow in that and mature into it, all right? So to have that strength to grasp this immense love of Christ shows that it's not easy. It's not a human attainable goal for us. We must have God's power for this to happen. Uh, happen. Comprehending Christ's love does not come naturally at all. It comes supernaturally from his spirit. The thing about this prayer is that Paul, you know, he knows they're Christians. He knows that they're, they're Christians. And he's sort of saying, you do not adequately appreciate the love of Christ. <laughs> he's, pulling, um, he's pulling them. Well, nobody else will know that. All except for Olivia. Pull. <laughs> um, He's praying and saying something nice, but saying something like this. It's said, okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> it's a joke. So it, it's, it's not a prayer that we might love Christ more, but Paul's praying that we might better grasp Christ's immense love. Paul's praying that we who already know Christ's great love might come to uh, live it out in an ever-deepening levels as we mature in him and our renewal and transformation. So this comprehending of Christ's love requires God's spirit. It requires his power because it's not naturally discerned. Then, then he prays that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, the measureless love of Christ. Uh, oh, it's the breadth, the width, the height, the depth. All right, saints is us. All right, it's a reference to all believers. It's the, the word means holy ones. It's those who are set apart from the world upon, uh, unto God. So this Christian life is rooted and grounded in this love. It's being built on love. And we must have God's power to comprehend Christ's love with all of the saints. And then he says this, there. uh, what I did, yeah, that you may be filled with all this fullness of God. Um, 
we can know something of his great love and its definite knowledge. But in another sense, it's so such a paradox because we can never know it completely because it's unfathomable. The measurements that Paul gives emphasize the immensity of it. And you can go left, you can go right, you can go front, you know, north, south, left, all that. Up and down as far as you can, you still haven't explored all that there is to know about Jesus' great love. The, the breadth of Christ's love encompasses a great multitude that's beyond measure. It consists of people from every nation and every tribe, right? People, tongue, languages, all that stuff. It takes in every concern of everyone, of every child of God from every age. No, one, no care of ours is beyond that breadth of his love, all right? The length of Christ's love extends from eternity to eternity, right? And we've already seen in Ephesians 1 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So it's an eternal love. The height of his love lifts us up to our exalted position of being seated with him, being in him and seated with him in heavenly places, and his eternal purpose for us is that we will be holy and be blameless. We're lifted far above the temptations here that easily trouble us. And this depth of his love caused him to leave the glory of heaven and his exalted position and to come to earth and be born as this baby. And it moved him to the suffering on the cross where he knew no sin, was made sin for us because we were rebels and we were enemies of God. We were children of wrath and the love of Christ redeemed us from that slave market of sin and it made us heirs with him. So this fullness of God probably refers to the perfection of which God himself is full and that we are placed in by being in Christ. So Paul is praying that we all attain and pray for a spiritual perfection that's already made us perfect. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Having all that God is fills us to this, this overflowing capacity. And as our capacity to receive more of it grows, he keeps filling us again and again. And the ideal of fullness implies this total, uh, like, um, being owned by God and controlled uh, by his will. And it's not like a puppet master. It's doing the things that he would want us to do, staying from the, away from the things that he hates because we hate them too, and we only love what God loves, all right? So, and he's in the control. He's, Jesus is center of our minds, our will, and our emotions. And then all of that says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
amen. So he says it's him. He gives him the glory. It's for him. It's for the eternal purpose of his glory for all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's the part of that prayer. That's what I've dissected in that. There's more, but uh, does that make sense? All right, there you go. Any questions, comments, disagreements, concerns, grievances, and all that good stuff, send it my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com or join the discussion or the Facebook group. And don't forget to like, leave a review, share, and all that good stuff. So until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven, and thank you for listening.